Why is Governor Kelly being called a traitor and a political coward? And that's from people in her own party. The mayor heads to the White House. Was the news eclipsed by an explosion of homicides back home? Surprising new developments on the plaza and a new war of words as the police chief heads out the door. Those stories and the rest of the week's news straight ahead. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, RSM, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Nick Haynes, and it's good to have you with us again on our journey through the most impactful, confusing, and befuddling stories making news in Kansas City on the Week in Review bus with us this week from our digital newsroom, Flatland KC. Mary Sanchez joins us alongside KNBC9 political analyst Michael Mahoney, Pete Mundo from KCMO Talk Radio, and from the Kansas City Call newspaper, reporter and managing editor, Eric Wesson. Now, guess who was back at the White House again this week? Has he racked up more air miles than any other mayor of Kansas City? Quinton Lucas in Washington, joining President Joe Biden at a Rose Garden ceremony to announce an executive order banning ghost guns. This is the gun. Anyone can order the mayor. Our communities are paying the price, and we're acting. Today, the United States Department of Justice is making it illegal for a business to manufacture one of these kits without a serial number. Illegal. This crowd shot, but Lucas was one of only three mayors invited to the event, but was the new story overshadowed by a grisly new wave of homicides back home? Four murders in 24 hours, including the stabbing death of a middle school student in the restroom of Northeast Middle School. Pete, by the time the mayor got back to Kansas City, did pretty much anyone forget about the big White House announcement? Well, I don't know if anyone forgot. I think the, the question is, what, what does it accomplish? And, you know, I asked the mayor this week on my show, I said, you know, you've had back-to-back -back years of record-setting homicides. How many ghost guns were used? And there's no answer. He doesn't have an answer. So it seems to me you got a problem. If this is the answer, you should have some type of data to back up why it's the answer. And that does not exist right now. It, it felt like you know, politics as usual. And I got to give the Kansas City Star some credit when you look at, at some of the problems here. The Star did have an editorial here in the last few weeks talking about how Jackson County shows too much leniency for violent criminals. If I was the mayor, I'd be looking at that issue far more than I'm looking at uh, what we have going on with ghost guns when you can't even point to the data behind it specific to Kansas City. And we also found out in the Northeast Middle School story that if you're really intent on committing violence, um, you can find a way around. That was a school that had metal detectors, right? You had to even have clear backpacks, and still, and it still happened. With respect to the uh, the metal detectors, the mags that were were at the school, it all depends on what level of sensitivity those devices are set on. Now, they may have been set really low and allowed a knife to go through, as opposed to being set really high that would require every kid to take off their belt, uh, their wallet, uh, their purse, uh, you know, all that stuff. The sensitivity of those things is variable. Mayor Lucas this week, Michael Mahoney, saying these aren't things more enforcement, more money to the police department would have solved and would have stopped. So what is his solution? I'm not sure what his solution is, but, I mean, he does sit on a crime committee 
four of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. That's one of the reasons he was at that White House event. And uh, to Pete's point about the mayor uh, complaining uh, about uh, the the sentences in Jackson County, the mayor has no control over that. I'm not suggesting it's not a problem, but he's the mayor of Kansas City. He's not the he, he's not the administrator of the courts or anything like that. Well, my point is simply this. The mayor of Kansas City, God bless him, has an opinion on everything, right? Which is great for us <laughs> in media. And I'm just saying he doesn't have an opinion and he's never willing to go after the prosecutors and judges in Jackson County. That's it. I know he can't fix it, but he's got an opinion on everything. And that's cool. It's good for us in this business. But he doesn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. But now we're going to go after ghost guns. Yeah. But he also talks this week about more money for mental health. Uh, we can use some of our pandemic money we're getting from the federal government to work on those kinds of uh, programs to help with young people, particularly in this case. But aren't these things we've all heard before, Mary? Well, absolutely. But we've, um, these are ongoing problems. I mean, I think the only thing that is new is the issue with the ghost guns. And we probably do need to point out that it is not an overriding issue in terms of what the violent crime that occurs in Kansas City or anywhere else in this nation. There's been more than 40 murders in the, in the Kansas City area this year. There were two of them that involved a knife. Two. Almost everything else except for maybe three other involved a firearm. So for myself, I mean, I think, it, you know, ghost guns are interesting to people, and, but it's a, and it's a good entree point to talk about these broader issues. And mental health most certainly keeps coming up. It is not a normal human behavior to go out and murder someone else, whether you're a 14-year-old or someone much older. Outgoing police chief Rick Smith got blasted this week for his fix to the homicide problem. He announces he has disbanded the missing persons cold case unit and reassigned all its officers to the homicide squad. Which means there are hundreds of families within the urban core who are longing for answers, who cannot get these answers because it seems that it's not a priority for the current police chief or for KCPD. So how did people with missing loved ones feel about that decision then, Eric? They were pretty upset. They thought that the cold case uh, squad was actively working on their cases. Uh, you know, but one of the things that's, that's come up is like, this is a textbook example of when somebody says that they're gonna leave, you just go ahead and show them the door. Uh, a lot of people were upset and including the mayor. It, it was pretty disturbing. If you ask members of the public though, Pete, wouldn't they say the homicide is the biggest issue to fix and putting more resources into the homicide squad is a, a better use of resources? What we do know to be a fact, and what the chief uh, did clarify on my show this week, is that the plan is to take these six people, you're talking about six employees on the cold case uh, side, and transition in the work on the recent homicides, recent assaults. But if they receive a tip on a cold case, they will actively go after it. They just want to have a guy walking into work one day and pulling a cold case off the shelf and saying, what can I do about this case today? I think that nuance is important. Also, this is temporary as they try to you know, build the staffing numbers back up. They don't want to eliminate this forever. Uh, this is just a temporary thing to work on, as we just talked about, four homicides in 24 hours. That seems like the priority, I guess you would say, at this moment in time, although that's not the word the chief did use, priority. But it seems like it should be the focus in the interim, at least. And Rick Smith has only got just days to go, Mary, before he hangs up his badge. Next Friday will be his last day of work. And this week, we had those final community hearings on picking a new police chief, what kind of qualities do we want in that person? You even moderated a big panel with our friends at American Public Square on these issues, too. 
Is there any evidence that anything that has been said in any of these public hearings is actually going to be used to help pick who the next police chief in Kansas City is going to be? Well, we have promises that people were listening. And we can say that definitely there were members of the Board of Police Commissioners that were at some of the meetings. There were members of city council members who were at some of the meetings. Um, Bishop Tolbert, who is president of the Board of Police Commissioners, said at one table that I was sitting at that, yes, they are taking all this in and it will be taken into account. Time will tell. Um, all of these conversations are good. None of it is all that surprising of what was said. There was actually members of the police department at many of the meetings and sat at the round tables with people and listened. Um, what I heard was mostly that they were listening. And, you know, that's all good. So we'll just have to see. This process to choose a new chief could take up to a year. They're going to reissue the request for proposals because they only got one agency, um, that one research firm to apply. So they're rewriting it. They're going to resend it out. This will be a long process, and that is a good thing. Best practices say that it can take up to a year to choose a new chief, especially if you're going outside of your existing department, as many people want. And Rick Smith packing up the boxes right now, Michael Mahoney. Uh, will he be inviting Quinton Lucas to his retirement party next week? <laughs> no, I'll bet he does, simply because Lucas is a member of the Board of Police Commissioners. Uh, I don't know that they'll have a long, friendly chat. It might. Yeah, I think Mayor Lucas's uh, invite to Rick Smith's retirement party might have gotten lost in the mail with the Kansas City Stars. I'm just uh, spitballing here. Why is Laura Kelly being called a traitor and a political coward this week? And that's from people in her own party. The Kansas governor angered a vocal wing of the Democratic Party by signing into law a new Republican-crafted measure that bans so-called sanctuary cities. It puts cities and police departments on notice that they have to cooperate with federal immigration agencies. The new law also prohibits giving non-citizens municipal IDs like the ones recently approved in Wyandotte County. For the most part, Democrats have sided with undocumented workers. They've tried to present Republicans as lacking compassion when it comes to immigration. So, when given a choice this week, why, Michael Mahoney, did Laura Kelly sign rather than veto this legislation? It was politics, uh, uh, Nick, uh, from this perspective, uh, certainly. There are a couple of things going on. Uh, number one, it looked like the Republican legislators had a veto-proof majority. It, had she vetoed that, uh, they would have overridden that veto. It was an effort by, I believe, the Kelly administration and the Kelly campaign to take the immigration issue, if not off the table in the uh, re-election campaign against uh, 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 Derek Schmidt and certainly push it back uh, away from the table a little bit. And the offshoot on this, I believe, is that uh, this is going to create a, bit, a, little, a little bit of a voter enthusiasm problem for uh, Laura Kelly, who will need every Democratic vote and every independent vote she can find in a Republican state like Kansas. These are the folks that are strong for immigration rights, very disappointed by, the, uh, by this decision to sign this bill in law, and they believe that um, she cut a deal against their wishes. And it may be hard for organizers to go into, uh, say, Hispanic uh, communities, other immigrant communities, and say, this is the woman we should have as our governor because she understands our issues when she vetoes this. And Voter enthusiasm is going to be a problem for the Democrats in the fall. It's going to be a problem in Kansas. And uh, 
is going to be a problem in her race by virtue of this. It was Wyandotte County, uh, Mary Sanchez, that passed the Safe and Welcoming Act that allows for municipal IDs for people, including undocumented workers, so they can... But can you remind us as to why they wanted that in the first place? Well, because policing even says you don't want people who aren't noted of who they are. It is not a good idea to ever have just an entire community that is set aside to itself and allowed to be somewhat undercover. That's what the municipal ID was dealing with. It was to allow people to actually function in society. And that would allow undocumented workers, for instance, to be able to uh, cash a check, to uh, get out a library card, pick up, a, uh, pick up their kids from school. Well, she made a You know, one of the... Uh, one of the subjects at the breakfast spots in the in KCK in the dot is not the immigration issue, but in the commercials he's sitting there with Donald Trump. Now that was a big turnoff among Democratic voters, but I realize she's got to reach across and get some of those people that are Republicans. But most of the people that I've heard say something have talked about that commercial. But Democrats this week calling the governor a traitor, a huge slap in the face. I can't imagine those individuals are now going to vote for her opponent, Derek okay. Schmidt, in on, in the general election in November, Pete. They'll stay at home. Well, they may. We'll see. Uh, you know, but as as you said, you got a binary binary choice in politics, oftentimes, and they may stay home. But in the end, I mean, Laura Kelly's going to need Republicans to vote for. Her. I mean, that's just the name of the game. So she puts herself yes in a commercial with Donald Trump. But let's not forget this. I mean, Donald Trump got thirty eight percent of the Hispanic vote. Mitt Romney uh, got twenty seven percent in twenty twelve. <laughs> And a new poll came out this week from Quinnipiac showing Joe Biden 28 points underwater with Latino voters. So uh, maybe this is this is not the core issue everyone's going to vote on this November. I want to go back to something. Immigration is not. Poll after poll shows that immigration is not the top issue for Latino voters. It's education. It's the economy. They are very attuned to this. And Laura Kelly should have stood up and said the right thing and explained herself a little bit better. It is just ridiculous that we allow immigrants to become just this pummeling tool every election. That's what is disgusting. It may be an election year, but Governor Kelly isn't agreeing to everything that Republican lawmakers are throwing at her. You want paper or plastic? It didn't get as much attention, but this week Kelly vetoed a measure that now prevents cities and counties from banning, limiting, or even taxing plastic bags, straws, and food containers. And showing her displeasure, the Kansas governor told reporters she is a major local control advocate. That puzzled more than a few people this week. Why local control for plastic bags, but not local control when it comes to cities deciding whether they want to work with immigration authorities or not, Michael? Plastic bags don't vote. Not, and not anywhere I, I know on this. Um, and that's the, that's the dilemma of, the, of these two me- measures. Number one, espousing local control on the bags issue and then standing with le- legislators that are striking down primarily a bill aimed at a local uh, ordinance in, in KCK. Wyandotte County is the most diverse area of this entire region. And they're very proud of that, as they should be. So this was kind of a real slap by Laura Kelly to something that should be promoted. It was a slap to Wyandotte. And that's just, she should have stood up for them.
Is this a make-it-or-break-it week for former Missouri Governor Eric Greitens? His ex-wife says she's ready to release photos that show how Greitens abused her and their kids. Sheena Greitens is currently locked in a custody battle for the children. The former Missouri First Lady claims she can document the abuse with images of her son with a swollen face, bleeding gums, and loose tooth after he claimed his father hit him. She says she also has dental records to prove her claims, videos as well. If she now releases those photos and even snippets of video, does it end Eric Greitens' campaign for U.S. Senate, Pete? Well, it certainly looks like it's already uh, trending downward faster than many expected. I talked to Missouri Republicans this week, and, and they said they were surprised how quickly the polls have changed against Greitens. And they thought it would take maybe a few weeks. It took all of a couple of weeks for him to go from give or take 30 percent to now low to mid 20s. So it's happening fast. Obviously, you know, he will say no matter what comes out that he's going to stand by his story and then it's going to be up to the voters to uh, either buy it or not. But I think as time goes on, time is not helping Eric Brightens here. That's one thing that's definitive. I thought people said on the show a few weeks ago, Eric, that um, uh, Eric Brightens would never get out of this race. Yeah, but that was before the the threat of the pictures and some of the other things came up. You know, he looked like he was smooth sailing into the primary, but he's got a, a very serious bump in the road. And I doubt very seriously, if she releases some video or some pictures, he might as well pack it up and go back to wherever he came from. I find it very hard to believe that Eric Greitens, under any circumstances that evolve out of this thing, drops out of this race. It just doesn't seem to be in his DNA. When he was on Pete's show a couple of days ago, earlier earlier this week, uh, he was still sounding very defiant. He also said, uh, told Pete, that he is still dominating this race. Well, he's not dominating the race any longer. He's in a at least a three-way fight, and I'd, I'd say a four-way fight, with when you include Mickey Hartzler, Eric Schmidt, and undecided, which is in the high double digits, 18 19%. And another point to back that up, that the Greitens campaign or the organization feels like they've, uh, they've taken some hits here, is the, uh, a group called Team PAC, which is a third-party political action committee supporting Eric Greitens, just put up their second hit spot on uh, Vicki Hartzler in this race. And when an organization does something like that, targeting for another opponent, it means that they they believe that they, uh, uh, they've they got an issue or a problem with that candidate and they need to knock it down. So Team PAC's put up two spots now against Vicki Hartzler, one against Eric Schmidt. So, you know, this is a wide open race right now. Who is the biggest winner in this then, uh, Pete? The biggest winner right now uh, appears to be Vicki Hartzler. She's the one that's moving up in the polls here as of late. But keep an eye on Billy Long. I mean, he's the only one that Trump said anything about officially, not endorsing, but he said Missourians should take a look. And Billy also said this week on the show that uh, anything that may come from Trump probably won't come until after the May primaries of North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and uh, Ohio. So we've got a lot of time left in this thing. The other thing, real, real quickly, is the Trump organization is uh, taking a lot of flack right now for their endorsement of Dr. Oz in the Pennsylvania Senate race, and they're trying to deal with that. I don't know how much they're... Uh, 
uh, of an appetite they would have to go into another very controversial endorsement in, in a Missouri race. I really detest talking about the same issue over and over again, week after week on this program. That's why I deliberately haven't brought up redistricting or the new sports stadium saga. But even though we talked about it last week, there are some compelling new developments involving one of our Metro's most iconic destinations. This week, Nordstrom finally confirms what has been rumored for weeks. It's definitely not coming to the plaza and would be staying put at Oak Park Mall. And the Business Journal is reporting the Target has now entered talks to take over the Nordstrom space. They will join Dillard's in competing for the spot on the western edge of the plaza. At the same time, a new feud has developed on the plaza over plans to demolish this church and build a nine-story tower with multiple restaurants and high-end condos. To the dismay of some, Mayor Lucas says he supports changing height rules to allow for the development. He says, we have a gigantic dirt hole in the middle of the country club plaza right now. That's a huge problem for Kansas City. So is it now green light time for anything on the country club plaza, uh, Mary? I don't think it is, but I do think that we need to step back a little and admit that as a city, we've held on to this longing for what the plaza used to be, as opposed to you know, seeing reality of how retail has changed. And I say that even as a daughter of someone who worked as a chef on one of the best restaurants in the plaza for years, uh, Puch's 210 was where my father worked. But it is not that era, that his era is long gone. I don't think we're gonna see a target. I personally don't wanna see that. I want the plaza to maintain some sense of what it's going to be in as terms of a unique shopping, dining area. But I think we need to let go of some of these old ideas that frankly just aren't coming back. People don't function in spaces the way we used to. One of our good viewers, Yolanda, reached out to me this week and says, you know, I always think of the plaza as Kansas City's Rodeo Drive, Eric, but forget uh, Dillard's, forget Target. Are we, we going to get a dollar store next? <laughs> we might, if, it, if it'll fill that hole. Uh, I thought the design that they presented you know, was doable, but as far as fitting into the 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 antiqueishness, I guess is the word I want to use of the plaza. I just didn't think that building fit. But if it was someplace else, like on Johnson Drive and some of the other areas, I think that that concept that they had would be great. Pete, you know, as somebody who is gauging the public mood every single weekday on your program on uh, KCMO Talk Radio, we fixate, of course, in the media over the plaza. Does the public care about this in the range of issues that we have to tackle uh, in our community? No, I, I, I don't think it's at the top of the list. I think a lot of the issues that, you know, we've tackled already on this show, uh, crime, how to stem that, certainly supersede anything like what's on the plaza. But, you know, I think you look at this issue and it's a, it's a plethora of factors. I mean, you know, there have been more crime concerns. I hear, you know, people complain about the rent prices. Retail has changed dramatically in recent years, even pre-pandemic. Now it's escalated post-pandemic. It's all that bottled in the one and uh, city's got to get creative to maintain what they've got. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? It was the week of the big KU victory parade and breaking news, Mizzou wins the national championship for disc golf. Will there be a parade for them? And freedom for Keith Carnes. After 18 years behind bars for a Kansas City murder he says he didn't commit, Carnes walks out of prison a free man, his conviction overturned by the Missouri Supreme Court. The first lady back in our area, she travels up the road to visit the children of military families stationed at Whiteman Air Force Base. 
Independence mourning the death of a prominent city councilwoman and a tough week for the Kansas City, Missouri school district and not just because of a stabbing death. The news overshadows a dire new warning from the superintendent that up to 10 elementary schools and up to three high schools may soon have to close due to declining enrollment. Olathe schools also warning of possible school closures, 140 more staff members being cut amid a decline in students. Overland Park announcing it's closing some of the city's pools this summer. They can't find the lifeguards. Area students walk out and take to the streets. They're protesting a series of Missouri bills targeting transgender youth. Do we now have to cancel everything to do with Russia? Demands growing to cancel a famed Russian pianist performing at the Folly Theatre next week. And move over eggs and buddies. Can we call this the holiest week of the year as local Muslim families continue to mark Ramadan? The Jewish community celebrates Passover and it's Easter weekend. Will Kansas City churches see attendance hit pre-pandemic highs? Not everyone having to put on their Sunday best. The city of Lenexa inviting families to put on their swimsuits for an underwater Easter egg hunt. Already, Pete Mundo, did you pick one of those stories or did you pick something completely different? I'm going to relabel the segment, Nick, if you don't not mind. Uh, big story I'm glad we missed, and that's <laughs> KU, because as a Villanova <laughs> alum, I'm still licking my wounds here, so I appreciate you not bringing it up. Uh, but in all seriousness, congrats to KU, local kids, Agbaji, Christian Brown, winning a national title. And to just remind everybody how worthless the NCAA is, their president <laughs> called them the Kansas City Jayhawks. Doesn't even know where the team is. There you go. Eric. Free lunches, free school lunches for kids. They're getting rid of feds, they're getting ready to cut that. So parents in the area are gonna have to start buying their school lunches. Mary. Is Children's Mercy um, putting out more of a call on mental health for young people? And coming out of the pandemic, there are so many children who have lost a caregiver, so many children who have struggled by not being in school in person. There are just a lot of things that need to be looked at. So I applaud that effort. And I think it's something we really need to watch as it goes forward. Michael. Another story coming out of Wyandotte County with political implications for this year. Keep your eye on uh, Judge uh, William Clapper's courtroom. He may issue his ruling in the uh, Kansas redistricting case this coming week. This trial wrapped up this past week. And whatever he says will be appealed. In fact, he told uh, both parties at uh, closing arguments, enjoy your trip to the Supremes, meaning that this will be uh, this will be appealed at the appellate level and then go all the way up to the Kansas State Supreme Court. This is how they're going to settle a map on where the uh, congressional boundaries are in Kansas for this year. It involves Wyandotte County because this gets split in two. It also involves Lawrence because they're putting that out in a western Kansas district, the big first. Keep your eye on it. That ruling might happen as soon as this week. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Our thanks to our news reviewers from Channel 9, Michael Mahoney, from our Kansas City PBS digital newsroom, Mary Sanchez, from The Call, Eric Wesson, and 6 to 10 weekdays on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo, and I'm Nick Haynes. Whether you're marking Ramadan, Passover, or Easter, from all of us here at Kansas City PBS, be well, keep calm, and carry on.